Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians together. We will be in 1 Corinthians this week and the next two Sundays before we take a break in the summer. We're going to go into the Old Testament for uh, the summer months of June and July. We'll be in the Old Testament, and then we'll pick right back up with chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians at the end of July all the way through the rest of the year. So just to give you a heads up, um, that's where we are headed. As we get started this morning, I want to make two, bring two things to your attention. First of all, uh, a point of celebration. Last week, I told you in my sermon that I had forgot to show up uh, to a baptism, which was so wonderful for me. Uh, <laughs> um, but the baptism still happened that night, and I think it's pretty cool. Um, Audrey Sloan uh, came to me, and uh, she had attended our baptism class. We had a class where we offered after the third service. If you stayed, we we're going to walk you through what the Bible said about baptism. And she was a part of that class and afterwards was wrestling, like, I think I'm ready uh, to give my life to Christ, and, and, and I want to do this. And, and so we talked, and we spent some time and uh, sat down with her, and she's spilling it all out for me. And she's like, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm like, you're ready. Like, I don't know if I'm, you're ready. Like, you're ready. Uh, and she sure was. And then I said, as we got toward the end, I said, hey, how are we going to like, do this, who do you want to baptize you? And she said, I want my brother Nate to baptize me because he's been discipling me, leading me to this, uh, this moment. I just thought that was so cool. Here's a picture of them in the baptistry. Uh, I just think it's a neat story that a brother pouring into his younger sister that way. Uh, I want them to hang out with my kids um, a lot. <laughs> That's just, I said, you guys are doing things different. That's not how it always goes down. Usually you're like, I guess my brother can come. Uh, but no, you want your brother to do the baptism. So that was just so cool. So we're celebrating that, uh, that decision that Audrey made. Uh, it was pretty cool. The other thing's a little bit more on a serious note. I want to remind you what church is a little bit. And I want to keep putting this in front of you when I have opportunities to do so. This week, uh, and I say this for a purpose, but this week was one of the heavier pastoral weeks that I've ever had. Uh, there, and I say that for this reason. There are a lot of families in our church hurting, many of them quietly. I spent a lot of time in homes and on the phone this week, meeting here at the church, praying with people. There is a lot of weight that people are carrying in their lives. And I think it's easy for us to come to church and sit and listen to a sermon and, and have really great worship and take communion and fellowship with one another, and then we're out the door. And, and sure, we love our church family, but like to be reminded that you're sitting among people that are hurting. And then there's other people that are not hurting. And boy, what a gift to be able to be an encouragement to those that are, to be able to remind them that you're praying for them. So this morning, two things I want us to pray. I want to challenge you to pray every day this week. I want to challenge you. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to stop and say a prayer for your church family. And God, I know there are families in my church, and I don't know all of them, but some of them are hurting. And pray that God would bring healing to those situations, because it's one thing for our staff and elders to be praying, but we are all in this together. So I want to encourage you to be praying for many of the families. You may not ever know the stories, but you can pray. The other thing is I want you to take a little bit of extra time on your way out to make eye contact, share an encouraging word, be the church this morning. Don't let it be a seat staring at a stage, and then go home. So what better way to get us started? Let's pray. I'm going to pray out loud if you'd pray quietly, just over the church family together. Father, I thank you so much for the 
incredible gift of Audrey's decision and uh, what you're doing in her life. God, I also thank you for this church family. I love being a part of a church family that cares for one another. I love that there are people when they're hurting, they come to the church and we get to be your hands and feet in their lives, your words, your encouragement to meet their needs. And so God, this week, as a church family, would you put the people around us on our minds and hearts that we might lift them up to you and pray that you would work in their lives. We trust you with this. So we turn our attention to your word, Father, would you speak clearly to us? And we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently heard a story of four engineering students from Purdue who, right before finals, wanted to get away and kind of blow off some steam and just relax a little bit before their final exams. It's been a long, difficult semester, and so that's what they did. They decided to get out of town, and they went to a concert, and they stayed in a hotel, and they just kind of hung out together and just kind of got refreshed. And then on the day they were supposed to be back to take their next exam, they slept in. They overslept. And so they're like, what are we supposed to do? And so they got together and they concocted a plan to tell their professor why they missed the exam. So maybe they could retake this exam. And so they messaged the professor and said, hey, we were driving back. We're headed north on I-65. We got a flat tire and we had nobody around. We didn't know what to do. And so we had to stay the night. And so that's why we missed the exam. And so whatever you can do for us, that'd be great. Well, the professor replies, hey, things happen. I understand that. Not a big deal. It's okay. Uh, Why don't you just come in tomorrow? When you get back in town, take the exam. No issue. And these Boilermakers thought, man, we did it. Like, we, we got it, right? And so the next day, they show up to take the exam. And to their surprise, the professor puts them all in four separate rooms to take the exam, which kind of threw them off a little bit, but no big deal. And as he came to each of them with the exam, he said, there's only two questions on the exam. First question, freshman-level math. Easy, right? It was a breeze. They thought, this is going to be easy. Question two said, for 95 points, your final exam, which tire on the car was flat? (laughs) Pride can be a pretty dangerous thing. Scripture tells us that pride can destroy our lives. Many of you... uh, I grew up or remember uh, very vividly the athletic accomplishments or the trash talk of Muhammad Ali, right? I mean, I know some of you can remember Muhammad Ali declaring to the world that I am the, yeah, easy, right? Well, he told on himself one day uh, as he was taking a flight from Louisville to New York City. And he said, as he's on this flight, the flight attendant comes up to him and says, hey, we're about to take off, Mr. Ali. It's time for you to go ahead and put your seatbelt on. And he looked at her and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she laughed and said, well, Superman doesn't need an airplane either, all right? And so (laughs) I love that. And he told that on himself. In Greek mythology, there's the story of Narcissus. Narcissus came upon a body of water, a pond, or a lake, and glanced into it, and for the first time in his life saw his own reflection in the water. He sees himself, and he's completely enamored by it, and so he begins to stare. And he just can't take his eyes off of himself. And so the hours turn to days, and the days turn to weeks, and ultimately, Narcissus starves himself to death because he couldn't take his eyes off of himself. Pride comes before the fall. This is why the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Repeatedly in this letter, he's had to remind them about what happens when you let your pride seep into these different issues dealing with the life in the church. And it's no different in this issue we're going to talk about today, spiritual gifts. 
You see, for the church at Corinth, they'd allowed their pride to seep into their understanding of what it meant to be gifted by the Holy Spirit to do certain things. They allowed it to become a point of division because all of a sudden, those with certain gifts were superior to those with other gifts. And those certain gifts were viewed as more important to the life of the church than other gifts were. It's like they thought they were some sort of, when the Spirit decides to give me a gift, it's like I become a Marvel superhero, right? Like I got the spidey sense of your needs from the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, what, what is it that you need? What'd you get? Oh, administration? That's lame. I, you know, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Why? Because luckily I got that gift too, okay? And so I got prayer, you got administration. And Paul's like, no. Like you got it all wrong. As a matter of fact, you're being so prideful and immature about your understanding of spiritual gifts that you're missing two very important things. One, the whole nature of the gospel and the nature of spiritual gifts altogether. I mean, the gospel tells us that we have everything we need in Jesus. That the righteousness of Jesus was given to us when we became Christians. And so now when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, meaning we have all the approval that we'll ever need. We have everything that we'll ever need in Christ. He is enough. He is sufficient for everything we could ever need. And so to say that somehow that a certain spiritual gift of the ability to serve in a certain area or to do a certain thing all of a sudden adds more value to the gospel and negates the message of the gospel to begin with. And the church of Corinth had mixed this all up. And so as we get started with how Paul corrects their thinking, I want us to keep in mind a few things about gifts in general. Just biblically speaking, a few principles that would be good for us to keep in mind as we go. Now, they're not going to appear on the screen because I had a long week and Ben's not here. And so, I didn't, so I'm going to repeat some of these if you, for you note takers so I don't get blasted with an email later. How dare you not use the screen, which never happens, right? All right. Here's the first thing. When it comes to spiritual gifts, the source of spiritual gifts is always God. See, the Holy Spirit is both a gift and a gift giver. Okay? The Holy Spirit is a gift to us in that he seals our salvation. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us, and the Bible tells us that he prays for us when we are running out of things to pray for. We don't know how to pray for ourselves. The Holy Spirit will pray for us. He is a gift to us in what Jesus said in John 14, that he would bring to the front of our minds Jesus' own words when we need them. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us in so many ways. And at the same time, he's also a gift giver, meaning he gives gifts to us. He is the source of those gifts. Here's the point in saying that. Here's why that principle of the source of spiritual gifts is God, is that it's not you. You're not the source. You didn't do it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't create it. He's the source of the gifts. Can't work hard enough. Can't accomplish enough. He's the source. Principle number two, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify God, not ourselves, and to serve other people, not us. So the purpose of a gift, when you're reading through it in the Bible, is to give God glory. Like, look what God did. And to serve and meet the needs of other people, not our own. It is a selfless, not a selfish thing. This is really important, given the culture that we live in, for us to remember that. Because we are experts at taking things that are intended to be used to help other people and turning them right around to make our best self now. We are obsessed with self and soul care. To the point where we obsess over our own development and growth at the expense of the ability to serve and care for the needs of other people. We are a selfish, self-centered people with really great attitudes about it. We will smile. Look, if it means I have to serve in order to become my best self, then so be it. I'll serve because it's contributing to my end, which is a better version of me. 
But when you read about giftedness and the use of gifts in the Bible, that is not the case. When you read about gifts in the Bible, it is for the purpose of blessing other people, oftentimes, oftentimes at our own expense, not our own benefit. It is a selfless thing. Third thing is this. Spiritual gifts are based on kingdom needs. Spiritual gifts are based on kingdom needs. This means that spiritual gifts don't always last forever. Many scholars call this the principle of need. When there is a need for the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of God, the Holy Spirit will enable Christians with the gifts to fulfill that need. So if there is a need for something to be done for God to receive glory and the kingdom to advance, he's going to give Christians through the work of the Holy Spirit the ability to do those things. Those are gifts. Where there is no need, there is no need for the gift. When a season comes and you have a gift and that season comes to an end because that need has been met, that gift can go away. Now, some gifts can last a lot longer than others. Some gifts last a long period of time because that need continues to be there. Other gifts for a short period of time. You see this all throughout the Bible. You see this even in your Old Testament as God worked through the people in the Old Testament to give them gifts for certain seasons. Look at what he did with Moses when he was delivering the people out of Egypt. He gave him certain gifts and certain abilities that lasted when he needed them. And the same is true today. It is called the principle of need. If there's a need to be met, there's a gift given. If there is no need, there is no need for the gift. Keeping these three things in mind, the source of spiritual gifts is God, the purpose is his glory and other people's needs, and the spiritual gifts are based on the kingdom needs around us, and they last for the period of time to meet those needs. Keeping those things in mind, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as the apostle Paul tries to weed the pride out of the view of gifts that the church in Corinth was struggling with. Beginning in verse 1, Paul writes these words. Now about the gift of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. We're going to pause there. First three verses. Paul begins his conversation about spiritual gifts by rooting it in the Lordship of Jesus. That's why this is important. What he's saying is, it is not wise to begin talking about the specifics of gifts before we first clarify submission to lordship. That's what he wants to clarify here. He's saying, when you were a pagan, before you became a Christian, you saw the world a certain way, and you chased after certain things. Your giftedness was rooted in what he calls mute idols. They never talked back, they always left you wanting, and they did not give you any kind of satisfaction. But you went after them. You see this in our life, in our world today, right? People that say it's about making more money. But they get more money and there's never enough money. Why? Because it's never truly going to satisfy. It is a false god. We see this in people that need the perfect image or the perfect family or they need a certain job or a certain position in their company or they're going to not have value. He said when you were a pagan, when you weren't a Christian, those are the things you chased after and they always left you dissatisfied. He says, but now you become a Christian. And when you're a Christian, you see things differently. This is called worldview. You take the gospel and every experience, every interaction, every circumstance you find yourself in, you filter it through the message of the gospel, meaning I have everything I need in Jesus. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. I'm completely satisfied in Jesus. And so whatever I'm dealing with, it comes from that place, not from the place of needing to chase these other things. That's what the message that Paul is getting across is here. And he doesn't do it just here. He continues to have to repeat this because we continue to have to hear it. And one of my favorite passages comes in 2 Corinthians. We'll get to that later on in the year. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, At one point, we viewed things this way. We even saw Jesus this way. But now we're a new creation. 
We see things differently now. We've put on a different set of lenses and everything looks different to us now. And then Paul uses this interesting phrase in verse 3. Those who speak in the spirit will never say, Jesus be cursed. Now, Paul's not addressing a cursing problem in Corinth. He's not addressing that they're either using bad language the way we would define it or even cursing the name of Jesus consistently. And the reason I would say that is this. Had they constantly been cursing Jesus' name, I, I think Paul would have addressed it a whole lot more than he does here. I think it would have been 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians B. It's a whole letter. You're going to read it because this is not okay. And he would have blasted them on that. But he doesn't. So what's he doing? Well, he's contrasting cursing the name of Jesus and confessing Jesus as Lord to contrast the two foundations on which you have the conversation about gifts. You're either viewing it as a believer or you're not viewing it as a believer. What does it mean to be gifted, to be given something by God, to be used? He's essentially saying that before you talk about gifts, before you talk about anything, you need to know that the the lordship of Jesus is foundational to the entire conversation around spiritual gifts. It is pivotal that we understand what it means to submit all of my life to Jesus. Meaning, I don't say, Jesus, you've got all of this, and I'm holding on to this. Like, I'm submitting everything to your lordship, but man, don't you touch my money. Or I'm going to, whatever it is, you know, I'm going to submit everything to the lordship of Jesus, but I'm going to hold on to my comfort. I'm going to hold on to my career. I'm going to hold on to my image. I'm going to hold on to whatever it is. He's saying, no, then you're going to have a misunderstanding of what giftedness is. Because if I say, I'm going to submit all of my life to to the Lordship of Jesus, but hold on to my career, then anything that happens in my career, I'm probably going to try to give myself credit. And I'm going to keep building. Yeah, I love the Lord. I go to church. I'm involved. But boy, I work hard and I've achieved quite a bit. And Paul's saying, no, you have to get submission right first, or you're going to have a misunderstanding of what it means to be gifted. One scholar said it this way. Those who are inspired by the Holy Spirit, those who are Christians, will speak and act in ways that glorify the Lordship of Jesus. The very words that come out of our mouth, the way that we act, the decisions we make will be influenced by the lordship of Jesus. And then we can begin to talk about gifts. He continues to explain this in verses 4 through 6. Here's what he says. There are different kinds of gifts. So before we get to the specific, he says there's all kinds of different gifts. But the same spirit distributes those gifts. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all, all of them and in everyone... It is the same God who is working. Essentially, what he's saying is this. Not everyone gets the same gifts. He uses the language of diversity. He's saying that, look, when you have a group of people that say they're a church family, you have brothers and sisters in Christ, God has done two things. One, he's created us different from one another. We're all created in his image, but we're all created with different gifts and abilities. And he says in a group, like in a room like this, we're going to have multiple people with multiple different gifts. Okay, that's what he's saying. At the same time, as a believer, the Holy Spirit also gives gifts as you're walking with the Lord to meet certain needs. And that's going to look different in the church as well. Multiple different gifts, both that you were created with and that were given to you by the Holy Spirit. It's going to look a lot different. And there's a little bit of diversity there. So he's saying not everyone gets the same gifts, but everyone and every one of those gifts have the same spirit who gives them. Different ways for us to serve the kingdom. We're all going to serve in different ways in the kingdom. Some of them right here in the, in the walls of the church. Others outside of the church. Others overseas. All kinds of different ways to serve in the kingdom. But there's only one Lord of that kingdom. It's not you. You're not building your kingdom as you work. He's saying, no, there's only one Lord. And under his submission, we work in the kingdom. So it's all for him. And there are different ways for us to work. But in every work and in every one of us, It is the same God working in me as in working in you, bringing that work to completion. 
There is unity. So he's emphasizing diversity in gifts, unity in the spirit. Meaning we have a lot of different things to bring to the table. And a lot of families look very, very diverse. We look diverse. We are diverse. We have different things. And one God who brings us all together. And if we don't get that right, then as we start to talk about gifts, it's going to splinter us and divide us because we will favor certain gifts. We will elevate certain gifts. We will make more of certain gifts than the Bible ever does. And as a result, what's going to happen is division. But if we get this first part of Paul's conversation right first, and this is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian again. He's saying a believer knows where all their gifts come from. A believer knows that every day I wake up, I know who gave me that day. Every day I wake up, I know who's going to give me the opportunities to interact with the people that I'm going to interact with. Every day I wake up, I know who gave me the ability to think and to work and to create and to accomplish. I, every day I wake up, I know who gave me the children that I have and the spouse that I have. Every day I know who the giver of those gifts is. And so I submit all of it to his lordship and I offer all of it to him with how I work. Knowing that as my, I do that, my brothers and sisters in Christ are doing that, we're all united by Jesus. This is the difference. This is why it fascinates me in our culture when we elevate certain gifts over and above others. We do it with the gift that I'm using right now. We make much more of it. We turn preachers into celebrities. Is that who we want to follow? Celebrities? I look at athletes and celebrities and the message I get from them is, I did this. I accomplished this. I'm good. I'm awesome. Never going back to the real source I love, I mean, look, take for example, Shaquille O'Neal. I find him very entertaining, okay? Shaq loves Shaq, right? Like, if you know much about Shaquille O'Neal, you know Shaq loves him some Shaq, okay? And he's constantly talking about how much he's done and accomplished in his own. And it's like, dude, did, you didn't, you, God gave you that. But I worked hard to get where I'm at. I'm sure you did, but you didn't tap on the uterine wall and say, I want to be 7'2", 350 pounds. Like, it, it doesn't work that way. No, you were given a gift, a very large, humongous gift, and then you mixed in some hard work, but don't forget who the source of the gift is. And see, Paul's saying, before we ever get to the gifts, you've got to get the source right. You've got to know who gave you the gift, and you've got to know whose lordship you're under. Is it Jesus, or is it your own lordship? Look, we don't get to decide what gifts we're given. We don't. There's a need. God says, i got a Christian. Here we go. And he gives you what you need to meet that need. And oftentimes we sit back and we're like, well, I'm not sure I'm passionate about this. I don't know if I really like it. And you're Enneagramming spiritual gifts all over again. Like, I think I'm like an eight, and so I'm going to challenge that. Like, no, you don't, you don't do that. The Bible says you, you don't. You don't make it about you. There's a need, and God says, I need an ambassador. I need someone to go and represent me here. And we're like, yeah, I don't know, God. I'm not really passionate about that. I don't know. People don't celebrate that. I can't put that on Instagram. And so you're like, what? Like, Why? And Paul's saying, you don't get to choose the gift. You get to choose what you do with it and who you give glory to when you're using it. Is it you or is it Jesus? Now he's going to get into a little bit more specifics. He's given us like, hey, don't get this wrong before you get here. Now, he, verses 7 through 11, he says this. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes to each one of them just as he determines the need. 
just as he determines. Verse 7, in my opinion, is the key to understanding this passage. So let me read it for you. I would have put this on the screen, but again, forgive me. I'm going to read through it twice. I want you to catch what I'm, what I'm reading here. Verse 7 says this, to each one, that means every Christian. So to each one, every believer, every baptized believer in Christ who has the Holy Spirit living in them, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, the gifts, the gifts are given, not earned, not deserved, not owed to, none of that. Like he doesn't owe it. He's giving the gift for the purpose or for the common good for other people, not myself. So whatever he's given me to do, the first thing is thank you. I give you glory because of what you're doing in and through me. Who do I serve? Who do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do with this that's for the benefit of other people? we got to get that right because oftentimes we're like, thank you, Lord. Now, how do I maximize this? How do I leverage this? How do I make the most? Like, those are the wrong things to start asking. It's, Lord, who do you want me to serve? Who do I love today? Who do I care for today? And the church at Corinth had mixed this up drastically. So Paul lists out a few of the gifts that were, uh, that were present among the church at Corinth and tries to level the playing field a little bit by saying all of this comes from one spirit, so stop elevating it above because it all has the same source. And so no, nothing's more important than anything else. Nothing's better than anything else. Stop doing that because it all comes from one source. And he lists the list. And normally I, I, I thought to myself, do I go through this list? But I know if you're reading the Bible, you're going to be like, I kind of want to know what those words mean. And you're going to get hung up on that. So we're going to go through the list. But here's the thing, please. Here's the thing. It is a dangerous thing to talk about the specifics of spiritual gifts when someone hasn't fully understood submission to the Lordship of Jesus. It is dangerous because we are a prideful people who love our own reflection and spiritual gifts just in, in just want us to stay looking at them, stay staring at them. It's dangerous. The other thing is this, Paul lists out a few, but his list is not exhaustive. What I mean by that is this, this is not nowhere in the Bible. And I, I would contend to say, I don't think you can compare the multiple lists of spiritual gifts that Paul does and come up with a complete list because that's not the point. Paul does not list out every spiritual gift that there is. He doesn't do that because that's not the purpose of the point. He's addressing the gifts that were being used to meet the needs of the kingdom in Corinth at the time. And he's addressing what those gifts are and trying to tell them to stop doing the comparison game and just serve people. So some of these gifts probably still do get used today and others, there's no need. And if there is no need, there's no need for the gift. But in a culture that likes to make much of everything, we sure do want to make much of ourselves through the gifts. So let me walk through some of these. First one is this. He talks about the, the gift of wisdom. I would define this this way. It's the ability to give guidance in tough circumstances or situations in a way that points people to the self-sacrificing life of Jesus for the well-being of other people. Meaning, I'm giving wisdom to somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, not for the purpose of making me look wise or them feel good. That's all great. If that all happens, whatever. If that's less the look like you're wise, more if that makes them feel good, that's, that's a bonus. The point is giving them wisdom so they can see their circumstances or their situation through the lens of Jesus and start serving other people and start giving of themselves and stop focusing so much on themselves. That's a harder thing. The next thing is knowledge. This, I'd say, is a deep theological understanding, which includes the study of Scripture. Somebody who has, man, they just get it. They're connecting the dots. They're understanding what God's Word is saying. They've been given this gift, and God wants them to have that gift of knowledge to benefit other people. One, because it's inspirational when you're around someone who knows a lot about the Scriptures when you're, when you're hungry. 
and you can give that gift to them. You can kind of spill out into their life. I've, I understand the scriptures, and I'm going to pour out into your life. I'm not just going to become a big, giant bobblehead who knows a lot, and I bobble around, and I can't control myself. No, it's I'm giving. I'm given so I can give. And as I gain knowledge, I'm giving it away to as many people as I can. Faith. This is an extraordinary God-given confidence in how he is working in your life and in the world. Meaning no matter what you're up against, what circumstance you find yourself in, you have the ability, no matter how dire or difficult it is, somehow you can still see how God's working in it. These people that have this faith that's so incredible, you're like, man, and what do they see? They don't see how they're going to persevere and get through. They see, God, you're working. And I don't see all the details, but I believe you're working in this moment. And when you're around that, man, is it not incredible? Many of you have done that for me. You have shown me what it looks like to have faith in situations where I just don't know how you mustered it. And yet you see how he's working because the Spirit has given you that. It's given you that faith when you need it. Healing, the privilege of being a recipient or a channel of miraculous healing, the same thing with miraculous powers. We're going to get into this a little bit more when we get to chapter 14, and so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but the idea of miraculous powers, the idea of speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues that he lists here in this passage, I would say uh, a couple things. And the idea of prophecy as well. Prophecy is this, you have this message given to you from God for the people that are in the room to hear it. That's a dangerous thing to just be flimsy with. Because what was the purpose of prophets? Well, the purpose of the prophets were to give us a message from God. What do we have? A message from God. So the question is, is there a need? Or do we have what we need? The miraculous powers were done to affirm the message of the gospel. Miracles were done to affirm that what was being taught and done among them in the name of Jesus was legitimate. What do we have? It's proved legitimate. Many of us want more than this. Because we're in a culture that tells us we need to get more, 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 more. When the best thing for you would be to simplify your life and get more into this. Than into what's going to make you better or make you feel better. Like you have super, superpowers. When it comes to speaking in tongues, it's this idea. We'll get more into this in chapter 14. That's not a cop-out. It's just a comeback for 14. Uh, it'll be at the end of the summer. And speaking in tongues is this idea that I'm speaking in a language I don't know, and someone's hearing it in a language that they do know, and someone's able to interpret what's being said for those that don't know. Right? It's, it's, it's this idea of there should be no confusion. I'm speaking the word of God. I'm speaking and teaching, and yet someone who doesn't know my language, and I don't know theirs, they hear it because the Spirit does that in that moment. And there's someone to interpret what's going on, and we'll get more into this when we get to chapter 14. Here's the deal. Paul lists, lists all these gifts in this passage. Not for the purpose of this exhaustive list. Figure out which one you are. Put them on a list. Do an assessment. Which one are you? Uh, right? Oh, man, you got administration again, and that wasn't even on the list. Wow, we got some work to do. With, like, no, that's not what he's doing. It's not. It's not an exhaustive list. In fact, I would say we could add to the list what's going on in the church today meeting the needs. And so I want to give you a couple more things that the Spirit might be gifting people to do in the church body today. You may have the gift of mercy. I can tell you over the last two years, the gift of mercy as evident in nurses as they sit bedside to people that are suffering, representing Jesus in those moments. They sit in hospice care in a place that not a lot of people want to sit when people are at the end of their time and they're there to represent and be there and, and to show them the love of Jesus. What a gift. The gift of shepherding. I was going to say people's names when I got to this point. They're listed here in my notes and I just didn't get their permission, so I'm not going to do that. But there are people in this church who have never and will never get a paycheck from this place who are the people that do shepherding better than I do. They're the ones in the hospital. They're the ones giving up. They're retired, and so they'll get in their car and drive people to their medical appointments. 
They will show up to their home just to pray with them, to check on them, to know what, what's going on. Then they'll give us all this information and it blows us away. Why? Because God gave them a gift for shepherding. And right now in the church in America, that is a gift that is much needed. The gift of technology, the team in the back that's serving in this way, other people that come in and they, they give, they, they know good and well, none of this happens with Rob right? They, no, I use one gift. They use another. And they're using that gift, allowing the spirit to give them what they need for the advancement of church music. Carter and the team able to get up here and lead us this morning, giving Ben and Caitlin a week off. And if you were here last week and you heard Ben's testimony, Ben and Caitlin deserve a week. And they're off together because someone else had a gift that said, I want to use my gift to serve you, to help someone else. And they're here and they're serving because someone needed it. Maybe for you, it's working with children. And you're like, hey, that's not everybody's gift, but I can do it. And I've spent time with kids. I love being around kids. And so for you, you might say, hey, we've got upward soccer coming up. And it's hard for me to believe that a church with anywhere from five to 700 people showing up, that we don't have a group of people that would say, yeah, I, I can do that. I'm not maybe passionate about soccer, but I can work with kids and I love Jesus. And I can give up a few weeks of my time to come out here and serve and to be a part of it. I can do that. God will give you what you need in that moment to be what he needs you to be in that moment. Yes, shameless plug. We want people to serve in this because, man, it just gets you get involved with so many people in the community and you get to love and serve them. It's a truly selfless, selfless way to use your gift. For you, it might be encouragement. You see in other people what they can't see in themselves, and God gives you the words at the right time to say something to them. And man, it just brings them out, and God's given you those words to be able to do that. Through your words and actions, you have a gift to encourage other people. Others, it might be generosity. God's blessed you with the ability to work, the intellect. You have this entrepreneurial spirit, and you've made a ton of money. And God has said, yeah, you have for the purpose of blessing other people. And that is not a plea for you to tithe to new hope. That is, wherever you're at in your life, you're able to bless people. You'll be able to do things with your generosity that shows them that it's believable that God is good and he's true. These gifts, the list goes on and on. Here's the point. What if instead of waking up every day thinking, what do I get? What gift do I get? We instead woke up every day and said, who do I get? What I mean is, what gift do I get in my life? Put that aside and say instead, who do I get to serve today, God? Who do I get to love? Who do I get to care for? Because I know in that moment when I need it, you're going to give me the gift I need. You're going to give me what I need in that moment to meet the need that you're going to put in front of me. So just put the need in front of me. I'm asking for the need, not just the gift. And we shifted the way that we think. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying three things. He's saying one, every single Christian has a gift. Every single one who is in Christ has a gift. Multiple gifts at times. Everyone has a gift. Number two, every single Christian has an obligation to use that gift. God expects you to take what he's given you and use it for his glory. And number three, every Christian's gift is for the benefit of other people. So the question is, will you allow what God has given you when he created you or what the Spirit has enabled you to be able to do in your Christian life to be used for his glory, to be used for his kingdom? There's a clip from the, the show, The Chosen, that I want to show you that I think will close us out really well because I could go to the scripture, but man, what a powerful visual. If you've not started watching this show, there's your plug. You got to watch this. It's so well done. Here's one clip of an encounter Jesus has when he's calling his disciples uh, to submit to his lordship. Check this out. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. 
That's your word. brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. <laughs> Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. 
take the fish into market and settle up Simon's debt. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. It's powerful. If you caught the progression there, Peter starts out, I'm the one gifted. I know fishing. I know. Then he submits. And Jesus takes that submission and does more with the giftedness that Peter had than we could ever do on our own. More with what you were born with or what the Spirit's given you than you'll ever be able to do on your own when you submit yourself to his lordship. In every area of my life, it's yours. And then my favorite line, lift up your head, fishermen. And I hear, lift up your head, accountant. Lift up your head, stay-at-home mom. Lift up your head, factory worker. Lift up your head, business owner. Lift up your head, fill in the blank. And follow me. Whatever he's given you, he will accomplish way more you'll ever accomplish on your own if you will just follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. And as we prepare to take communion together, we have this, this moment to reflect. And many of us, as we reflect and examine our lives, will realize we've been selfish with what you've given us for so long. Would you help us to be humbled to realize that we have been given everything we need in Jesus. And that this invitation to follow you is one that we can happily accept every single day. Father, we have an enemy. And the enemy is going to want more than anything else to distract us these next few moments. He's going to want us to begin to believe that what we have is from our own hard work. It's from our own accomplishments. And would you help us through the Spirit to remember the source of every good thing we've ever been given so that you will receive the glory and we will participate in the advancement of your kingdom. Father, we give you these next few moments of reflection, examination, and celebration for all that Jesus has done, and we do so in his name. And all God's people said, amen.